Hey, hey, welcome back to Rabbit Hole Research. I'm your host, Kevin Maurer. Today we're going to have a, be having an interesting little discussion on the Brotherhood of St. Mark. This was a fencing guild um, that existed during the 15th, 16th, 17th century in the Holy Roman Empire, uh, specifically Germany. I've done quite a bit of research on them as to their origins, and um, there's quite a bit of... Uh, written articles out there. Uh, many of you uh, probably have heard of them, but uh, we're doing a little podcast to talk about them. And if you all want to read more about them, you can visit my new website, mffgresearch.com. mffgresearch.com. I've got a lot of these articles posted there, and there'll be more to come. Obviously, the Brotherhood uh, of St. Mark wasn't always a brotherhood. They existed prior to receiving um, official and royal privileges from the emperor uh, in some form or another. I think I've discovered that their their origins came about uh, through military necessity, and I'd like to get into some of that here. Um, so they had existed prior to their their privileges and these privileges were from the emperor friedrich the third at the time in 1487 and that I'll, I'll explain here in a bit why the emperor gave them uh, these these royal privileges and what those privileges meant it's a it's an interesting story so they weren't always known as the marksbruder i believe their original name or the origin of their ultimate name was a combination of the Unsere Liebenfrau Brotherhood, the Our Loving Lady Brotherhood. They must have combined with a Brotherhood of St. Mark. A lot of those guilds and brotherhoods back then would choose a patron saint. In this case, they had chosen, some had chosen the Brotherhood of St. Mark, and this other group, the Unsere Liebenfrau, was a very, very common uh, cult of um, the, Blessed, uh, the Blessed Virgin. Uh, the Holy Mary. They were formerly known as the Bruderschaft of Unser Jungfrau Maria und Himmelfürsten St. Marcus. So the, there it says it, the Brotherhood of Our Loving Lady and, uh, and the Apostolic St. Mark. Their, stories, their story is an interesting one. If we look at the military history of the Habsburg rulers in the late 15th century, it, uh, it becomes clear why the need existed for these groups. Um, now, I discovered an origin to their patron, which was the House of Leuvenberg. This was a, a rich uh, patrician family in Frankfurt, probably among other cities. Um, and they were original patrons to one of these brotherhoods, and they maintained that because that name, House of Leuvenberg, uh, seemed to be associated with the brotherhood, the Marksbruder, uh, for their entirety. And I think I've located their, uh, on maps and whatnot from archives and research, I think I've located the exact uh, house. Um, and funny enough, it really wasn't too far from a lot of other relevant uh, places to the Marksbruder in Frankfurt. Again, uh, my mffgresearch.com. I've got an article up on a research reader that I did a few years ago giving the origins of the Marksbruder and a lot of the, uh, the more finite details of this 
the street names and the alleyways and the maps. It's I've I share that in this little article. Uh, so it's an interesting it's an interesting um, interesting grouping together of this uh, patrician family and the brotherhood. We don't know how or why. We could make many assumptions as to why they were together, but um, it's just an interesting read. So, getting back to the Habsburg uh, rulers and the political origins of the Marx Bruder, uh, we see from military escapades of Maximilian I, who was the son of the Emperor Friedrich III. And while that Emperor Friedrich III was still alive, he named his son Maximilian I, King of the Romans, which was a, a secondary title that the Emperor Friedrich III maintained. He gave that to his son while still alive. It was was kind of an inter interesting thing in history. But it, it gave Max I uh, uh, quite a bit of power, and he was, when he eventually took over as emperor, he was he was well known for making sweeping changes and reforms. He was probably a very progressive leader. They call him in history, Maximilian I is known as the last knight, you know, with, with, with all the chivalry and, and things that go with that. Um, Max is a very, very interesting character. So by the mid-1480s, Maximilian I had traveled to Belgium and Holland and he sought to assert dominance and defend the rights of the emperor up there. There was the empire was always at at risk of breaking apart, and and different factions were were warring or were against uh, the uh, the empire for one reason or another, whether it was religious or political or economic reasons. And back then, there was really no standing army that uh, Max could order forth, so one had to be assembled, and the call went out throughout the empire for able-bodied men to serve in his latest campaign in the north. And in January of 1485, Maximilian was in the Netherlands. He captured uh, parts of that. He showed his determination to make himself master of Gent in, uh, in uh, present-day Belgium. But after defeating the Genters under their own walls and capturing their great banner, he was forced to retreat because of a mutiny for pay among his troops. And here's an interesting point. Many of the, because there was no standing army in those days, many of the troops that were assembled, they were, they were lance connects, they were mercenaries um, for pay. They would uh, swear an oath of allegiance for a certain amount of time, and, uh, if, and often if they didn't get paid, um, they simply left. They were, they, were, they were not in it for the glory of the, of the, the empire, or for Max, you know, many of them, they, they were doing this to supplement income. They come from trades guilds and artisan guilds and farmers and, and peasants in that class of, um, of people then. So he, Maximilian, left in, in that early time, went back home, and he was obviously determined to go back to Belgium and Holland and conquer them once and for all and bring them under heel of, of the empire. Uh, and uh, so at that point, he began to gather a larger and uh, hopefully more de dependable force of mercenaries. And in 1486, he gave uh, that group of mercenaries uh, some form of official and royal privileges. Um, these, these privileges 
go back to about the 14th century, even before with the Habsburg rulers, they, they assumed that they were descended from the Caesars of Rome, and they um, used what was known as the privilegium maius, some type of a majestic privilege, uh, whereby the, they didn't have to make, they didn't have to request from the, the church in Rome any, uh, any uh, permission for them to form an army. So here in 1486, he grants privileges to a group of paid soldiers uh, who became known as the Landsknecht, or servants of the land. And these Landsknecht uh, were organized fairly well, fairly militarily, as best as could be done then, and armed and equipped. And uh, that group was formed by many, many cities and towns and villages who all had militia from all across the empire, um, warriors from different brotherhoods, religious orders, trades, guilds. They all answered this emperor's call. And um, so in 1486, in the summer, Max returns to the Netherlands with his grand army of German and Swiss mercenaries, his newly formed and privileged Landsknecht. He occupied parts of Flanders. He was threatening to attack France, um, and there was uh, political intrigue at the time. Um, England was brokering a deal with the Flemish in Gent and Bruges with a trade agreement, and while the bulk of English trade was still going to, to Holland. So again, this was political, this was economic, and it spilled over militarily, and um, Back home, and sensing the inevitable military confrontations, knowing the unreliability of the previous forces uh, he and his son had assembled, the Emperor, Friedrich III, was in Nuremberg in mid-1487. He wisely enacted a privilege, uh, again, unique to the Habsburg rulers, that of Priv Privilegio Maius, and um, he absolutely gave the right to teach and organize the military fencing arts um, to a group, a brotherhood, um, gave royal privileges to them, fencing masters and all from Nuremberg. Um, and that guild would eventually become known as the Marksbruder. They were eventually headquartered in Frankfurt am Main, and uh, in Frankfurt, uh, there's a Platz there called the Römerplatz, where during the fall festivals they would they would test these Marksbrüder would test and certify uh, Freifechter and masters of the longsword. And by Emperor Friedrich III giving them these privileges to this group of fencers, these group of warriors, it must have meant a small fortune, because at that time every was everybody was in a trades guild or an artisans guild of some type this burgeoning middle class that had grown during the early part of the Renaissance. Um, and it, and it, and it, uh, and it blossomed and it went from all the major cities had, had, uh, uh, groups of these Marx Bruder and they touted and boasted their imperial privileges to teach and certify others. So they had, they had absolutely, um, control of these war arts, these these weren't just fencing arts, uh, 
Uh, it wasn't just a pastime. It, it was a it was a combat war art that was that was being uh, taught. And I guess the emperor was wise enough to uh, ensure that one single group would control it and teach it and be loyal to uh, the empire. And so. Um, Max was still up there, and he continued unsuccessfully to attempt a, pe a peaceful settlement settlement through politics. He was up in Flanders and, and Bel present-day Belgium and whatnot during this whole time, 1487, 1488. Um, things got out of hand with the Flemish. They, were, they weren't having it. Um, there was, uh, they considered the oppressive presence of, of uh, Maximilian I's large body of, of alien troops, foreign troops, the Germans and the Swiss mercenaries, uh, these Landsknecht in particular. So it led to a renewed uh, agitation in Flanders against this Austrian regime. The Belgians were stirred up because of several decrees by Maximilian. He had promised the trades guild masters of Bruges that he wouldn't enter into a pact with France. Um, but it seemed like he was. The Flemish didn't uh, didn't buy that he that he was going to be truthful to his word. So they armed themselves and they absolutely captured Maximilian I and killed or ran off his mercenaries. Here's a little translation of mine from some uh, archival history. I'll read you real quick. Um, on February first, fourteen eighty-eight, the trades guilds of Bruges, in their turn, took up arms and the carpenters occupied the gate facing Gent. Then ensued the strangest and most humiliating episode in the whole history of Maximilian's experiences in the Netherlands. The marketplace was turned into a fortified camp, and for the better part of four months, Maximilian was detained there, first in his own lodging in the fortified mansion of uh, Ravenstein, then afterward when his soldier soldiers had been driven out of the city, uh, he was an actual prisoner in the Cranenburg, a house in the market. So um, I think this proved too much for the emperor to take. So by the end of April 1488, Friedrich III was marching on Flanders at the head of a mighty army. And included within this army was a group of warriors who could ultimately be trusted to maintain the best interests of the empire. And these were the Marksbruder, the Brotherhood of St. Mark. And I think in granting one particular brotherhood that soul and royal privilege to teach and train others for profit in the war arts, the emperor had secured a trustworthy military force. Finally, um, these were these were guys who weren't just entitled to just a few months of wages as mercenaries. The, this newly appointed group now had the opportunity to profit from instructing and certifying other master instructors in the war arts. And um, that generated monies for the guild and uh, probably meant a small fortune. There is a Codex I-625 um, that contains quite a bit of information in it. And in the beginning, there's uh, quite a bit of information regarding the disposition of the monies gathered by uh, all Marksbruder masters of the longsword. When a Fechulin was held, uh, there was a certain possession or amount due to the guild, uh, the dues that the masters had to pay, um, all of that is, is accounted for. So we see a lot of organization, economic, financial organization within this guild. It was probably a wealthy 
a wealthy thing for them, but they were soldiers and they were at the call of the, of the emperor. So, um, again, being a very wise move on Friedrich's part and, um, these men served well, the Flemish, uh, faced by such a massive and determined army, uh, released Max on the 16th of May in 1488. In many other cities, uh, oddly enough, the Flemish turned out to welcome Friedrich III and his recently freed son, Max. Um, so there are interesting discoveries made uh, here not too long ago by a fellow in Germany, uh, Jens P. Kleinau. He and I have spoken uh, often and shared information and research back and forth. He, living in or near Frankfurt, uh, has done a, quite a bit of research on the Marx Bruder and original archival records in this guild and he found some interesting stuff to support this there was a an original captain of the guild a hauptman of the guild whose name was peter weiskirch of frankfurt on the river mine and in the 1480s 1488 until 1500 he was a master uh peter von weiskirchen schirmmeister fechtmeister in Frankfurt. He was captain of that fencing guild. And uh, obviously that supports the idea that these Marx Bruder marched off in 1488 with Friedrich III up north to free Maximilian I. So I do believe the origins of the Marx Bruder was uh, based on a military need uh, as opposed to the previous soldiers of fortune and mercenaries who were unreliable. Um, now they now the empire had a a a more reliable and formidable force so it was for uh, military purposes and it probably remained so until an official standing army was created in the um late 17th century and there's quite a bit of written history to support uh, a lot of these suppositions and and theories and there are the original charters that the Emperor Friedrich III uh, bestowed to this group. There was about 20 different paragraphs in there telling what they could and couldn't do and what uh, how they were protected by the Emperor and how they were granted just just over over overreaching privileges. Uh, they were they were a powerful, powerful group. And it wasn't until the turn of the 17th century that another uh, brotherhood would form and eventually be given royal privileges by an emperor and that'll be for another podcast the uh the Weiderfechter Federfechter the uh fencers of St. Vitus uh they were hardly ever called that though uh they were always called Federfechter meaning feather fencers We'll get into that again in another podcast. So let's say the warfare aspect of the Brotherhood of St. Mark is wound down, and now they're settling into the 16th century. Uh, there's less warfare. Things are more certain for the empire, and there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of work in trades, guilds, and the growing of the burger class, the citizen class. So a lot of these fellows were from trades, guilds, one in particular, the Kirshner. Kirshner could be translated as a tanner or a pelt worker. 
I discovered many, many, many early names of, of Marx Bruder who were in this Kirchner guild. Many, uh, many times they were referred to early on as Kirchner's boob and the Kirchner's boys and, and uh, these tanners and pelt workers. But they weren't, uh, it wasn't just that guild. There were quite a few other trades guilds involved in joining this brotherhood. But we see overall a lot of Kirchner's and, um, involved in this. And of course, the Brotherhood of St. Mark had a coat of arms, um, with which is the Lion of St. Mark. And again, on my different articles and whatnot, you can find them online, what that looks like. It's, it's rather interesting. Um, so throughout their history, uh, 15th, 16th, 17th century, they're teaching the art uh, for pay, for money, for profit. They're holding Fechtschulen, and um, they they had full full reign of the of the full full reign of of the teaching of the arts up until right around the 1570s. We start to see this other group that would eventually become known as the Federfechter, these Freifechter free fencers, uh, we see them starting to participate in Fechtschul, and, and of course, the smack talk begins. The Marx Bruder are, are renowned for writing uh, poems that commemorated uh, Fechtschul and fencing events. Um, in my other podcasts, I, I go into briefly what the Fechtschul were and what they weren't, and I suggest you have a listen to them here on my rabbit hole research channel. Um, I can read a few of those poems. I have some prepared here. I've translated quite a few. They're interesting. Um, they weren't really terrible talk. They, 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 you know, the, uh, the fact that, uh, there were rules and regulations against, uh, provoking someone during the fight. These, these, these factual and poems, Many of them written beginning in the 1570s and then through the 16 and 1700s. We read some very interesting, taunting type tales. I'll I'll read one from uh, written by a man named Christoph Jung in 1579 from Breslau. He was a Kirchner or Tanner and a Marxbruder, and he's writing this to commemorate his time at a at a Fechtschule and against the Federfechter. He's he's talking smack about these this other rival uh, fencing guild who really they, they didn't at that time they didn't have privileges the 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 fader fester in 1579 they didn't get their privileges till 1607 1608 by the emperor then emperor rudolph the second but here 1579 fechulin poem uh by christoph jung a marx bruder i have become who is angry at the fader fester when i thought about it what 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 is a goose feather a goose feather would be worth Nobody would give me for it a half a mug of wine. Why should I give honor to the goose feathers? Shield and helmet are much better decor for me. His imperial majesty favors us, Marx Bruder, who strive for such a chivalrous art, because goose feathers and quills are of no use for knightly games. Hear ye, hear ye, feather-thin paper and black ink should be found only in a scriptorium. So, that 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 tells us that early on the Federfechter were known for uh, quills, goose feathers, and quills, and that uh, they should be 
found in a scriptorium in a writing stubel, a little writing place. They, the with their black ink and their thin paper, the Marx Bruder seemed to be poking fun at the fact that the Federfester must have been known for for the written word. Maybe they had a love for the written word. Maybe they had a little bit higher education. Maybe they were from a a different uh, sect of the trades guilds, and they weren't as uh, they weren't as common. And I guess the the Tanners and the Marx Bruder Guild they they didn't like that. Here's another one from Georg Spies from Munich, a Potter, and Marx Bruder, 19 July 1579. I swing my sword in this house. Come here, you feather fencers, drive me out. Before me you have neither rest nor repose. Spare me the swords binding together, otherwise strike bravely. Uh, whether the griffin already does soar in the air, thus the lion does jump around in the forest. Argue with him, and he is ready. Get up, get up, you feather fencers. It is time. So he was, he was, um, he was calling them out. He probably uh, had a fight with some of them. He's letting them know in no uncertain terms that the Marx Bruder still rule. They have the imperial privileges. Um, here's an interesting one from 1579. Kunrad Friedweg. He was an old, his trade is listed as an old patcher of shoes and boots, and he was a Marx Bruder. On the 2nd of August, 1579, he writes, You noble lion, now leap yourself up. On your behalf I strike out. I hit or would be hit. With God's help, I do hope. He will also protect me today. Because of the brotherhood of St. Mark, I allow myself his benefits. So they were religious. They were probably more, more Catholic than they were reformists, reformers. Um, although that's not proven. Um, and that's a whole separate issue that we're continuing to study. The religious relationships between the two fencing guilds if if in fact there were any uh, again there's always room for more research and and we continue i continue and others continuing to do that um here's an interesting one again from a Marx Bruder master of the long sword hansen von ulm and he was a princely bodyguard on the uh 19th of June, 1585, he held a factual in Dusseldorf in honor of Princess uh, Jacoba to, Prince, to marriage to Prince Johann Wilhelm from Ulick and Cleves. I swing in the name of Jesus Christ and fear no fencer, no matter how wild he is, is an obstinate brother at hand. When struck, you must yield with shame. Therefore, drummer, drum on. I have something in store for his head. And kind of bold words there from a from a Marx Bruder to the Federfechter. Uh, another from Stefan Christian from Nuremberg around the same time. He was a pewter smith and a Marx Bruder. Swing out, lion, you noble beast, search for the false griffins, who with their haughtiness and magnificent pride the brotherhood of St. Mark does despise. Because that I want to honor myself today against the Federfechter, and so come here in God's name, uh, we, would we would nicely receive one another. <laughs> they were, um, the Federfechter had their symbol as the griffin, a winged griffin holding a sword, whereas the Marx Bruder was the winged lion of St. Mark, 
the crown. So instantly we see two teams formed and I don't believe that they went at each other uh, with lethality. Um, that was not permitted and effectual, but this definitely added some rivalry. And some of these poems are very, very revealing of actual um, actual things going on in the factual, but it's just interesting to read uh, and hear some of these uh, poems. Many of these are found in the seminal works of the factual and by Karl Wassmansdorf, uh, 1870. Um, he published the six factual of the Marx Bruder and Federfechter and and quite a bit of other work in there. It's really a definitive source on these two guilds, Marx Bruder and Federfechter, and their participation in factual and he found, uh, Wassmansdorf found and included many of these rhymes in there, and I have not translated them all, but, or, or done them very accurately, but there's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, so we have, um, we have the Marx Bruder Guild lasting until, you know, the end of the, the end of the whole sword fencing era i mean past the 30 years war well into the 1670s 1680s i've found written uh, accounts of them holding fechul fencing events continuing to teach um continuing to certify masters of the long sword um i found some very interesting lair brief and this lair brief was um was a handwritten document probably several copies existed one was kept at the headquarters of the of the Marx Bruder in Frankfurt and another one would be carried around and they were probably we would consider them apprentice papers apprenticeship papers that were issued uh, to the student or when a master would become a master this was the the actual stamped and signed written piece of paper proving um, that they that they were a master so it was a very important document and um it either proved that the student was a master or intended to become a master there was a there was a second title uh, another title or rank known as angelopten meister or avowed master somebody uh, a student who was into this uh would avow to his guild he would swear to them that within three years uh, he would get himself to Frankfurt am Main and be tested and certified as a master. So as an angelopen master, an avowed master, he was also given one of these Lehrbrief. Uh, I should back up in, real quick and say that the Freifechter, we believe, was also a title or a rank that was below master. Free fencer, who's still trying to find... Um, details about that and I did here recently uh, find some information out about a, a fella who happened to be a Federfechter uh, named Sebastian Cresselius and I wrote a, an interesting little article about him got access to a book in a library translated it and it tells of him going to a fencing event and being tested for the title and rank of Freifechter and there even though he was a Federfechter uh, there he was tested by Marx Bruder, Masters of the Longsword. And this was in the 1620s. So I think it wasn't until the 1680s or 90s that the Federfechter, that other privileged fencing guild, was allowed to certify their own. So it was always 
the Mark Spruder uh, in charge of certifying masters. Again, they maintained control for several centuries. And um, let me just read to you here um, my translation of this lair brief for a, a particular gentleman named uh, Georg Linz from Leipzig. And this is written by his master, uh, who was also happened to be a, a captain in the Marx Bruder Guild. And, and just writing this uh, and translating this, reading this, you, you find some interesting, interesting detail, what they were permitted to do, what they could do and what they couldn't do. It's a little bit lengthy, so bear with me here. Uh, it begins, Your Roman Imperial Majesty, uh, also Your Royal Majesty of Hungary, Bohemia, and of the Holy Roman Empire. I, Johann Becker, born in Hamburg, a loyal captain of the military exercise arts of St. Mark in Lovenberg, do proclaim and acknowledge herewith for everyone's pleasure, whosoever reads what is apparent or hears it, that I today and hitherto, from Roman Imperial authority and privilege, present the honorable and manly Georg Linz, born in Leipzig. His royal trade is that of pelt worker, and in all knightly weapons, how it is usually seen here, from the longest to the shortest, and from the shortest to the longest, have allowed him to be tested in how they are used in such knightly manner. There he held out manfully and with honor and honesty against his opponents, done in the holy trade and commercial city of Danzig in Prussia, after which I presented to the opponents verbally whether they at the present would pass Georg Lintz and recognize him as an honorable master of the longsword, to which they all unanimous, unanimously affirmed with a yes. Thereupon, because his good conduct has so contributed, I strike him to the rank of avowed master of the longsword. Also to his oath he is admonished to be faithful, and he complies faithfully and honestly to all the articles and laws as there are at liberty to the masters of the sword. And there are, and these same never oppose or be in conflict with, much less permit another to rise up against, which he has avowed and sworn with a bodily oath and pointing of fingers. Also that he appears at Frankfurt within two to three years, and there make good on his promise to me, uh, that it would be helped through God's mighty graces and gentlemanly masters for him to not be hindered. For his witnesses and godfathers are of solid honor, Mr. Johann Beitkins, purchaser and merchant, the Honorable Michael Gloff, buyer and trader, the respectful Georg Petzelt, citizen and uh, cloth manufacturer, the Honorable Georg Teschke, citizen and harness maker. And now reaching respectfully my humbly deepened and highly diligent prayers and requests to all and each, Whatever their standing honors or dignities, they be king, prince, duke, baron, knight, noble, imperial city sheriff, mayor, judge, and soldiers of the city, marketplace villagers, and the Clausen. May the above-named Georg Lintz be allowed to pass and return freely, safely, and unhindered over land and water, because of your majesty's imperial privilege, in order that he may fulfill the noble sword. So now also that my service and requests reach the four deputies and to all the approved masters of the longsword from the most noble and widely acclaimed Brotherhood of St. Mark and Lovenberg, Frankfurt am Main, or else other places and ends, 
that you will show the above-named Georg Lintz upon his appearance and to his friendly requests all good will and be inclined to promotable opportunities for the sake of his honorable and manly behavior and also as an honorable and avowed master allow him free and unhindered passage that I am in submissiveness diligently indebted to everyone according to the standing honors to witness in truth I wish to bestow to this certificate my own duly acquired noble signet and signature made with my own hand done in the royal trade and commercial city of Danzig in Prussia 22 June 1682 so at uh, 1682 signed by Johann Becker captain of St. Mark's and Lovenberg that date of 1682 seems rather late in the game for these fencing guilds but they were still going strong even after the Thirty Years War uh, Germany was no longer enthused about these traditional sword fighting arts or sword fencing guilds for that matter the handgun had taken over and they were probably quite frankly sick of war having been you know decimated uh, in some places up to 50 percent of the population by that war um, with a lot of cannons artillery and handgun and more organized combat taking place um, but just the fact that this guild was still certifying avowed masters and masters late into the 17th century it uh, it seems to parallel a resurgence of uh, sometimes of the reprints of nearly hundred year old fencing books uh, if you look at some of the dates of reprints there that it was still longsword fencing was still a thing two-handed longsword fencing still a thing into the 1680s and fechul and and just carrying on uh, with the with the uh, the previous ways it's a very interesting document and I've got maybe three or four of those things I've discovered and translated and they're they're kind of wordy and flowery but uh, but at the same time they're revealing uh, what these imperial privileges entailed um, he was to be on unhindered free trade and passage um, if he ran any if he ran into any other Marxbruder masters uh, he could probably expect to be fed or, or housed or or helped economically financially I'm sure they took care of each other um, that way and also thinking uh, about the fact that he was tested in in all the weapons they had a saying from the longest to the shortest the shortest to the longest so think about the shortest being a dagger and then the longest being a, a, a staff halberd or pike the pole arms everything in between these longsword duzac rapier staff halberd pike um, all those weapons that we seem to read about in in various fencing books are known and um we can't really say what what happened as to the demise of these Marxbruder. Um, just the fact that uh, in 1747 we see the last instance of a Fechulin being held, uh, and it was held in front of an emperor, and at that point it was probably just. Uh, ceremonious because warfare had changed so much then but it just seems like they they just disappeared from the pages of history um, I have a theory that maybe they didn't completely disappear because something that lasted for so many years and 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 was bought with blood and honor and such dedication and devotion 
uh, to that guild. Um, I just don't think there's any way that something like that would be allowed to disappear. Um, but their ultimate fate uh, can only be guessed at. Um, I've surmised that maybe some of the recent vestiges of this guild could be seen in early 20th century Mensur and Burzenschaft fencing societies, which obviously the weapons had evolved and the use of them had evolved more to a sporting uh, point in the universities uh, in Germany in the 1800s. But when I started researching them, I, 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 I would see those Burschenschaft and, and Mensur societies had uh, Marxbruder attributes in their own coats of arms, clasped hands uh, that are directly on the Marxbruder coat of arms, and certain other things that that uh, I don't know if that's just an homage to these to the earlier group, or they were, or the Burschenschaft people were inspired by the Marx Bruder, because there was really nothing like the Marx Bruder Brotherhood, per se, existing anymore. Um, but it's just unknown how they slipped away uh, off the pages of history, and uh, I continue to look for them uh, post-17th century, but then with Napoleon conquering the empire and the changing of Germany, things changed, and that was it, but... Uh, I think the more we read and learn and study about these Marx Bruder, it's 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 interesting and it helps our own understanding of that era and the peripheral histories that made up that era, why these folks fenced the way they did, how hard they fenced, what they did, didn't do. Um, quite a few of them wrote fencing manuals, uh, books. We've got um, one of the earliest Marx Bruder masters, Peter Faulkner, uh, wrote. Um, a, a fencing guild that exists today. Uh, Christian Tobler did a wonderful translation of that. Uh, I think it's called The Captain of the Guild. And it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing uh, effect book, fencing book. Although it doesn't, it doesn't uh, remind me too much of these, of these blue collar guys and their Dusak and, and Halberd. Uh, we had Christoph Rosner, Marx Bruder, Master of the Longsword, 1589, published a work in Dresden seems to have been a, a uh, he actually stole an earlier poem by from the famous poet Hans Sachs. Hans Sachs, a meister singer and master poet in the 1540s, uh, wrote this book, uh, Fechtersprüch, fencing, fencing Talk or Fencing Speak. And it looked like Rosner in the 1580s kind of, kind of co-opted some of that work and added his own little stuff to it, but that's a very revealing source of information on the Marx Bruder, 1589, Christoph Rosner. I'm working on a translation of that. I think there's some other ones out there as well, um, but yeah, I've used that throughout my research for many years. So, so they weren't, uh, they weren't averse to writing um, fencing books and, and, and whatnot, and we continue to do research on the, on the Marx Bruder and find out more about them. It's just a fascinating thing. I, uh, this is getting long here, podcast. I'm long of tooth today. We're going to wrap this up, but uh, appreciate you guys, stop, you all stopping in and joining me. Uh, stay tuned for more. Like I said, I'm going to cover the uh, the Fester, which was the other known uh, royally privileged guild. And uh, we'll even talk more about the Luxbruder, which were uh, an unofficial group 
uh, of bad of bad boys. And um, again, if you go to my website mffgresearch.com, mffgresearch.com, you'll find a lot of these articles I'm posting, things I've written in the past, especially stuff here uh, from 2015. I've been reading from my Meyer Fryfisher Guild Research Reader Volume One, The Origins of the Marx Reader. Uh, but I've got gobs more of information that I can share there. And uh, well, all right, we appreciate you all uh, uh, joining us here today. And uh, hopefully, you'll you'll check back in and uh, and maybe even subscribe to this stuff. Uh, hope you learned something. Hope you had fun. Thanks again. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right. <laughs>